Hello and welcome to The Appetite, a podcast brought to you by Opal Food and Body Wisdom. I'm your host, Carter Umhau, a therapist, artist, and writer. The Appetite is all about issues of food, body, sport, and mental health. And today we are concluding our four-part series on Ellen Satter's eating competency skills with an episode on internal regulation. If you don't have the context of what we're talking about yet, I would definitely suggest pausing the podcast here and going back to find our last three episodes, one on food acceptance skills, eating attitudes, and contextual skills. What we have been talking about on the last three episodes is sort of the groundwork of what it means to be an intuitive, attuned eater. All this to say that these skills are are being laid out because at the heart of Alan Satter's work and at the heart of Opal's philosophy around food— um, it's this belief that competent eaters not only enjoy food, but they're comfortable in the enjoyment of it. Um, and this is not as simple as it sounds. So once again, Opal co-founder and nutrition director Julie Church is joining me today to unpack this final eating competency skill. Welcome, Julie. Hi. Can you just give us a brief overview of kind of where we've been in the last three parts of this series before we get into our final section? Yes. We have been talking about the four different aspects of Ellen Satter's eating competency model. So Ellen Satter is a dietitian and social worker, and she has done most of her research and work in the field of family feeding, and in that created a research tool, a validated research tool called the Ellen Satter Eating Competency Inventory. And in that, it breaks down to four different areas that then combine to show kind of what is a competent eater. So we started with food acceptance skills, and then our second episode was eating attitudes, and then our third episode was contextual skills, and then today is the fourth and last internal regulation skills. And I have been really excited about doing this one. Why is that? I've been like feeling like every episode I've wanted to talk about this because I think we talk about this a lot on The Appetite. (laughs) Yeah. So this, I want to say it's like, is as if it's my default response because I believe that so much of the work that we do and the way that we approach food and nutrition differently at Opal is that we're saying the body works. Trust the body. The body works. And I just want to make sure that that's being said in the world. Yes. (laughs) So I think we do that a lot on this podcast. I think we do. I think it's the basis of everything. (laughs) (laughs) The basis of everything to think about the Mm -hmm. fact that we actually have an internal wisdom around what to eat and what our bodies need in terms of movement and emotions and relationships and everything, right? Yeah. There's wisdom. Yes. It might have been ruined. Mm-hmm. By being in the world, which is very common, <laughs> <laughs> but it's there. And so some of these skills are about kind of getting some groundwork down so that those um, so that internal regulation and so that wisdom can be heard once again. I know. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's big. It is. Yeah. I know. <laughs> so I definitely think that phrase, the body's wisdom, was something that I have obviously incorporated into the name of Opal Food and Body Wisdom. And as I was reviewing and preparing for this, I came upon a quote in Ellen Satter's book, Secrets of Feeding a Healthy Family, and it jumped off the page, and I just needed to read it to you. Okay, great. What is it? Okay. (laughs) The idea that eating as much as we want 
creates nutritional mayhem, leaves out an essential part of the equation, the body's wisdom. Mm. And yep. I, I don't know if I've really seen those two words put together in, since the creation of Opal Food and Body Wisdom in something I've read. I connected to that, and I think that speaks to so much of this foundation, I guess, in belief that we don't believe it's going to be total mayhem to eat as much as we want <laughs> and just listen to our appetite in that way. But so many people do. Yes, even beyond food, there's just such, mm. there's such a distrust of the fact that we might be able to just trust ourselves, mm-hmm. that we could like be ourselves, that we could be mm-hmm. eating the way that we wanted to and moving the way that we wanted to and it would be okay. Yeah, yeah. So in terms of how to figure that out, yes, <laughs> how to figure that out as an eater, mm-hmm. let's start with just kind of defining what, what an internal regulation system looks like, how that works, what that is yeah. when it comes to food. Yeah. This is where I like to say that specifically in our relationship with food is that the metabolism's communication to us is through our appetite cues of hunger and fullness. So recognizing that we can trust our body if we can be connected to hunger and fullness and the nuances of those things. They are not stagnant locations in our body, but they are a whole experience and on continuums. And so that piece is pretty key. And I also would say that it it communicates that we are trusting our body, but that this takes intentionality and actual attention. It's not just like free flow, whatever. I don't know. Um, you and, mean being being know. attuned to your body? Yeah. Is it just like a free flow yeah. thing? Like it's just going to come. And I, yes, it's a natural thing that we are born with. But I do think that for the adult in our present world and for the person that's seeking recovery, it takes intentionality and reattunement and and work to get there. And honestly, for a child, a parent has to continue to nurture an environment that it will continue to allow for a child to trust themselves. So this is just take some effort, I guess I would say. Yes. But yeah, take some effort. And I think I made this comparison in a past episode many, many months ago. But when we haven't been in relationship to our bodies in a healthy way or relationship to ourselves. It's like, you know, not calling someone you're close to for a really long time. Mm. And there's like some, there's some repair that needs to happen. And so I think that the food acceptance skills, the eating attitude skills, the contextual skills feel like that's the work to get yourself back online to be able to then be in relationship in a healthy, free-flowing way with those internal regulation skills and know also that there are hiccups along the way that, like, it might feel really hard some days or your stomach's doing something weird or, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever else taking in the context of your life and your body in order to to do this well for yourself. Yeah, totally. You know, the last episode we did was on the contextual skills. And I wanted to do that one right before this internal regulation skills intentionally because – Unless we have that regular, reliable, rewarding meals and snacks and just this pattern, we can't have trust in our body. I think it's best understood with the parent-child feeding relationship. So like, use that as an example. It's just that if a parent is in the taking the responsibility for feeding their child, they will then present their child with regular food at a structure and a time and a place that works for their family. And then 
the parent's role is just to do the what, the when, and the where, and then it's the child's role to choose to eat the food or not to eat the food or how much or whether or not, right? So how much food they're going to eat. And that's right there is the parent trusting the child that that child's body is going to work. It's internal regulation and their connection to themselves and that embodiment is going to work and that child is going to feed themselves enough in that moment. So we like to parallel that parent-child relationship in the recovery, like just our own selves as adults as eaters, as well as in a recovery process from an eating disorder so easily. Hopefully you can kind of take that in your own brain and go there. But then when we as our own selves do those contextual skills and we shop and cook and prepare and have the stuff around for us, we have done the adult responsibility. I was just going to say, not just the contextual skills, though, like after you've taken apart these eating attitudes yeah. and eating assumptions, right? <laughs> totally. That like yes. that all of that yes. is there and then there's food in front of you. Yeah. There's like food. unencumbered food. Food. And then you can trust your body, right? You can let that child that's within you sit there and go, do I want to eat this or not? Is this the time for that? Is this the right temperature? Maybe I want a little bit of that on this or maybe a little extra salt over here could be nice. Right? Yes. So can we trust ourselves (laughs) if we have set ourselves up in all these other ways? It's one of the rewards, I think, of doing the other elements of it. I think there's a big, right, like skepticism around, well, no, you can't just listen to your body. (laughs) And and then I go, you're right, actually, if you don't do any of this other stuff. Yes. Like step one, two, three, or work on what we would say, you know, the food acceptance, the eating attitudes, and the the contextual skills. True. I get it. Yes, you can't. (laughs) Right. Your body's not going to make sense. Right. And, of course, the psychology attached to all three of those things. (laughs) Just like keep throwing that in. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to to figure out what your eating attitudes are, to to be accepting of food, to figure out what's between you and the grocery store (laughs) and, like, what that resistance is after a long day of work and why it matters to actually still cook or eat something or whatever you're going to do. Like, there's a lot of work to go into all of that. And it makes sense that people feel overwhelmed. And like there's – it's not going to be okay Mm -hmm. because there is some effort. There is some effort. But I do believe that with that, the work that people do, then the reward, Mm -hmm. right, is just that the body is trustworthy and that that guide that's internally there can be with you wherever, whenever. And that's such a a gift and it's so worth it. I – of course, often see the consequence of people not kind of tending to these other aspects of their food relationship and then develop chronic dieting or disordered eating or eating disorders. And the way that that impacts their relationship with food and their identity about who they are as a person and as an eater is it's so all-encompassing. And it's so heartbreaking and difficult to watch because they believe that they are out of control with food. But in the big picture, wait, no, you've been disconnected from food and you are underfeeding yourself and you are unaware of these food beliefs that are damaging your connection to go into the grocery store, you know, or whatever. It's just there's so many more nuances. And um, and instead, it just becomes this character flaw, Hmm. right? Yes, or, or for someone that maybe grew up in a 
food scarcity situation of some mm-hmm. kind, whether that was forced dieting or poverty or whatever else. It could be really easy to just think that, again, your relationship to food is just messed up and it's totally. out the door and there's no way of repair. But I think having the information of these different skills and at least knowing like, oh, there are four categories here that um, I'm not doing well in yeah, in any capacity. And there's context around why. And I can now apply my context of whether it be poverty or dieting or whatever it is to unpack what has gone wrong in these four categories mm-hmm. and, and how to get it back. Yeah. 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 So in terms of what internal regulation skills look like, mm-hmm. you spoke a little bit to how a parent can help a child. I was going to say help a child figure out their internal regulation, <laughs> but I guess it's more like just set up yeah. a child for being able to just be in their bodies and eat the food mm-hmm. or not. Mm-hmm. What does that look like as we think about sort of a healing process for the healthy adult? Yeah. Ellen Satter talks about the value of permission and discipline. And in that is a specific tenant, I would say, to a lot of the internal regulation skills work. So I want to break that down. Most people get scared by both, actually, I would say. Most people that have done all sorts of different stuff with their food and eating don't really like the word permission, and they also really don't like the word discipline. Yeah, they're loaded. (laughs) They are, right? So – Permission, uh, she defines as letting yourself choose foods you enjoy and eat them in amounts you find satisfying. And then the discipline is providing yourself with the structure, again, back to some of the contextual stuff, the structure of regular and reliable meals uh, and paying attention to your food. So the she, she likes to say positive discipline when it comes to that discipline and that links really closely to the contextual skills. So you're just you're you're providing that structure for yourself regularly and you're saying, you know what, eating matters. Therefore, I have to take some of my weekend and do some of that cooking or shopping. You know, like it's just respecting that. And then the permission part, I find that links to the eating attitudes and the beliefs so much and all of these beliefs that people have that food rules that they need to knock out of their brains and hearts uh, to say, okay, wait, I need to have permission to eat. What does it look like for me to actually just say, I am an eater. I can eat. And combining those two things is what can really allow for people to then come to a plate of food and recognize I have both permission and I've done sort of the structures that I needed to in the discipline. And now I'm going to be in the moment and listen to my own self and appetite and decide if I'm going to eat it or how much I'm going to eat of it. I think a fun maybe imagery if you think about that transition is when you think about the plate, people have done a lot of hard work to get the food on the plate. And it might be you that's done the hard work. It could be a chef that's done the hard work. It could be a family member, whatever, right? That structure, the discipline, that hard work has been there and that plate is there. And then I just think, okay, now how can you connect to your own body and move away somewhat? Like let that stress (laughs) not be yours anymore and let that be gone and done. And then how can you connect to your own mouth and to your own body and the appetite and the taste enjoyment and wherever you might notice your hunger, your appetite cues, right? Like people feel it all through their whole body. It's not just your stomach or your mouth, but just connect in that moment. So moving away from the plate when you're there and getting more into your body. 
I bet some people haven't heard before that you would feel hunger in different parts of your body. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, it is an unusual thing to figure out where your internal regulation is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, is that a brain thing? Is that a mouth thing? Is that a stomach thing? Is yeah. that a stomach pushing against your genes thing? Mm-hmm. Is that a awareness of the meal that's coming in six hours thing? <laughs> like, what is internal regulation? I think, okay, so yeah. I think first it starts with hunger, right? Okay. It, like, first starts with that draw, that appetite, that like, okay, what am I going to eat? And ooh, I'm having the salivation. I'm having the interest in this food, your thoughts, your your draw to it. And then it's also connection to something that's going on biologically. And so for some people, it might be hunger that they feel maybe foggy-brained or they have more nervous movements or they have an emptiness in their stomach. I think recognizing that those hunger cues can be very, very diverse for different people. So it's just just everyone has to kind of find their own. And then I think that when you said, is it about the stomach hanging over the genes? I think then we're connecting to fullness and satiation. But then what kind, like where then are we also butting into fear around fatness again, body weight and change? And what is our body going to do with this food? And so I think that fullness is a whole nother thing to work on. And it's not just, again, in the stomach, but it also is recognizing throughout a meal experience, the transitions throughout the body, all of those sensations that one's experienced as they're in hunger could transfer into changing as they get into fullness and satiation and new sensations arise and the interest in the food. So that like that enjoyment and that pull and that draw can you start to notice some of those kind of lessening? And can you kind of recognize when those taste buds aren't as peaked peaked and like Mm -hmm. excited? And maybe that's as you're kind of coming off of the appetite and it's settling down and you're feeling more satiated. So it's that whole process. And then what are those beliefs about how much you should be eating? You know, if it's the shoulds that we have from my plate or from some sort of caloric thing you saw in the back of the microwave meal or something, right, that then tells you, well, gosh, I don't feel full, but I just ate that many calories and therefore I should be full, right? Like, but recognizing, no, wait, what are those What are those other inputs that then are interrupting your embodiment and your connection to your body? So I think there is that work to do too. Yes. That's at the tail end of the meal <laughs> yes. or snack or eating experience. And it can happen when you're shifting the focus finally from plate to mouth, right? Mm-hmm. Like you said earlier, that is an embodiment process yeah. to to be able to kind of hone in on what's going on for you yeah. and enjoy it and watch as your hunger changes and all of mm-hmm. that. And then once again, you're being introduced to this sort of external output again, maybe once the meal's over. External being yeah, complicated because it's also maybe internal suddenly. The I diet culture. Yeah. It's in, yeah, it's been internalized. Right. That's for sure. But is it naturally there? It's not naturally there when you think of babies and infancy and toddlers and – No. Oh, no. Yes. I love that, that the word embodiment gets to be here too because it is – I think a pretty risky thing to stay embodied when there are that many outside messages that tell us that we should be something different or Mm -hmm. we should have eaten differently or our body shouldn't look this way or whatever else. And so that is that final step of saying like, okay, I did all of these things for myself and I ate in this way that I wanted to today and was the right thing for me. And 
I'm still okay. Yeah. Like even now, if I've gained some weight or feel extra full or whatever it is, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's exactly what I love about eating competencies because it it just allows for people to be gauging their quote unquote healthy eating, you know, yeah. or their food relationship, however you want to phrase it. It just allows for people to gauge it differently than the scale. Mm-hmm. Because that is how most people want to gauge their health, quote unquote, right? Is that way. But this instead, they're like, whoa, I have done so I have grown so much in all of this, or I am playing out all this. I am, I think of, I don't know, teenagers and young adults who have done this work with me and just like just this coming of age, right? Of like, I am like an eater. I know how to do this stuff. I am proud of myself. I cooked this weekend, darn it. Like, <laughs> and I loved it, you know? I mean, I've gotten to taste food that clients have brought in, yes. to t- you know, because they're just so proud of it. And that that's eating competence. Like, that is so exciting to watch develop. Uh, and I feel so sad, right, that sometimes it get that none of that stuff is getting emphasized or being given the time of day if the scale is the dictator of if one is who they should be. Right. Limiting. Very so. limiting. <laughs> we just went so flat <laughs> once we, once you said the, the scale. It's like, <laughs> yes, it's really limiting as a marker of success yeah. when actually these things are so much more inclusive of your actual life and your actual body and your actual story and your preferences and your desires and your limitations and all of that. Like, Mm -hmm. this is inclusive. Yeah. Yeah. Another way I want to just connect this internal regulation skills to the contextual skills is about the end of the meal. that We we just were there, right? We just had this moment of talking through the end of the meal and satiation and the recognition of if the fact that you can trust your own self as an adult, that you are going to continue to do these contextual skills, you're going to continue to go and get food and find a way to feed yourself. In that moment when that food is in front of you and you're towards the end of the meal and you're starting to feel full, the only way you're going to feel comfortable leaving food there is if you know that you're going to again have food later. And so recognize if you're a parent, that is one of the most powerful things that you can do is be consistent and reliable around that structure. That's why Lyle Satter says you're in charge of the what, the when, and the where. Like you are providing that consistency. And with that consistency, then the child is going to come to the table, eat then what they want to and what their body needs because they know they're going to get food again later. Taking that and paralleling it to that parent-child within us as an adult eater is trust that you are going to get food again later. And that goes back to permission, right? You have to give yourself that permission that I will again feed myself. I will again feed myself. I will again feed myself. Yeah, this is not just one meal. This is literally the rest of your life. And I know that those of you that are listening that are in recovery from an eating disorder, sometimes that feels really daunting because this is a paradigm shift to kind of go, wow, I don't want to. I don't want to put all this time and attention into it. And that permission just to say, I am going to do this again and again and again and leaning into that is eventually is what is going to make it come with ease. So such a gateway. Yes, yes. And the phrase mechanical eating is one that is often talked about within eating disorder recovery, that there's a phase of mechanical eating. And like the competency skills might feel mechanical in some way, like Mm -hmm. learning these things and feeling the labor of having to keep on going and being (laughs) attuned and going to the store and having another meal is a lot of work. But also, once you get into a rhythm, 
hopefully that's where it stays as just a normal part of life and your week and your budget and your this and your that mm-hmm. so that your body gets to show up and you get to be embodied in that experience and then you have the freedom to play within that discipline. Yeah. yeah. And there's so much room in this to allow for good enough. Yeah. There's so much room for that. And I think of the parent that might be perfectionistic that's listening to this to go, yeah, but I want that, you know, magazine cover kind Mm -hmm. of child sitting at the booster seat and having the food in front of them or something. But recognize, like, you put food out in front of your child and that is communicating that you are going to do your part and that they are not going to go hungry. And that is that is good enough. And so also as an adult, you can do that for yourself too and go, I'm not going to get so stuck in all the crazy rules out there in the world about food. And I'm going to allow myself to stop and get food and look around at wherever I am and choose to eat something. So I just think good enough feels like a good thing to keep in mind, I guess, when when trying to to do the hard work of each of these areas of eating competence. Yes. It reminds me of something that I said that probably was edited out of a past episode in which I started trying to record my introduction to one of these podcasts. And I just was like, you know what? My goal needs to be mediocrity. Today. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just, I, it has to be just mediocrity because I need to say something here and we'll see how it goes. We got to start. Yeah. Carter, we got to start. <laughs> and that's something that has, you know, it's, it's a weird parallel to make in some ways, but having been someone that's tried to figure out how to create the structures in life to just like show up and make the most of it and figure out a relationship with food that is healthy and all the regular, reliable and rewarding um, components of eating. It's like, yeah, you got to ha- you got to learn the attitude of it being fine to just do it in a mediocre way sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. that no meal is perfect. No week of food is perfect. Well, some some meals are perfect. I need to say that. <laughs> Wait, I mean like a memory yeah. of something. Yeah, right yeah, now? yeah. Some some meals are perfect, but not every <laughs> meal is going to be perfect. Not every single grocery trip you're going to remember every single thing that you were meaning to get, and you just make it work. Yeah, and eat the thing that's there, and there will be another shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the word eating competence even sometimes can can elicit perfectionism. I think. Yeah. And so I think we just wanted to name that. That's not the goal, (laughs) is not the perfectionism around all of this, but it rather is just recognizing more of that coming of age and and confidence that can come with having come to some ownership and sort of personalization of these various areas of eating competence. And with that, you as an eater can – be confident you're feeding yourself well, and that means you're also in the body that is also the right body for you, and you don't need to change it, fix it, be smaller or larger. So we've covered a lot in the last four episodes of this eating competency series. And if you've made it all the way through or just dabbled from one episode to the next, uh, we would love to hear what you think and if there are any lingering questions or comments or any sort of dialogue that you want to start with us around um, these food acceptance, eating attitude, internal regulation, and contextual skills. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter to be in touch, Um, but particularly on Instagram at Opal Food and Body, you can send us a DM, and we will love to hear whatever questions you have. Um, So make sure you reach out. We'd love to hear from you, and we'd love to know if it feels like there are any gaps or things you want to learn more about. 
To stay in touch with Opal, make sure you are following us on those social media platforms um, and subscribe to The Appetite. This will help you be in touch and in the know around the newest releases. And if you are interested in learning more about Opal, specifically our programming and our events, check out opalfoodandbody.com. Thank you so much to Daniel Gunther at Jackstraw Cultural Center for sound engineering, to Aaron Davidson for The Appetite's music, and to Hans Anderson for editing. Thanks again and join us next time. Bye.